Whether you're taking a rip down the lease road in your jacked-up truck or flying first class to Houston, Texas, it's time to sit back and relax for another exciting episode of Oil & Gas Onshore. This episode is brought to you by Tendeka, a global specialist in advanced completions and production solutions for the oil and gas industry. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Justin Gauthier. All right, welcome to another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore. We're here at NAPE with Charles Wilson, CEO of URX Corporation. How's it going, man? Pretty good, Justin. How are you? Good. For the listeners out there, this is this is hilarious. So I was sitting here just on the phone doing some work, and this fine gentleman came up to me while I was on the phone, and I could tell he wanted to ask me a question. And I said, hey, man, what's up? And he's like, are you reporting a podcast? And I said, yeah, I just finished. And so... I said, man, hang tight. You know, let's talk. And sure enough, we, we ended up talking a little bit. And he's here at NAPE, and he wanted to get on the mic. So I appreciate you taking time to sit down and kind of you know, tell me who you are, what you do, and, and you know, why we're here it's recording an episode. It's hilarious. I, this is totally unexpected. We didn't prep for this at all. We literally just shook hands and put the headphones on, and here we are. Yeah. So anyways, for the listeners, tell us who you are and, and why you're here at NAPE. I understand you came out of Dallas, right? Yeah, so my company's based out of Fort Worth, Texas. Okay. So saying Dallas is easier because a lot of people can, you know, figure out where that is. They can. A that's easier. a good reference point for oh, people yeah. that are outside of Texas. They yeah, know where sure. Dallas is. So my company, URX Corporation, uh, we do enhanced oil recovery. We look at getting old fields and revitalizing those and then doubling primary production. That is our main goal. Okay. And so we do that with like CO2 injection or like water floods, depending on the type of structure it is. Uh, specifically right now, we're looking at smaller canyon reefs because they're kind of untouched at the moment, specifically the smaller fields. Okay. So you have a lot of bigger companies that do a lot of big fields and a lot of high capital investment projects. Then you have a lot of unconventional, a lot of capitals going there right now. But it's like the, these smaller fields that are kind of forgotten, you know, 20, 30 years old. Well, they still have like, you know, 80% of the oil still left in the ground. Right. And mm-hmm. so if you can repressurize those systems, just think of an upside down water tower, you can get the oil back out. Okay. Yeah. So who's your ideal customer? I mean, I'm assuming you do you work directly for the operator or kind of give me a, an outline of a typical scope of work. And if someone reaches out to you, who is that and, and who do you typically market to? So actually, we're looking to be an operator ourselves. Oh, wow. Own our own fields. Yeah. So let me give you a little background. Actually. Yeah, please. Yeah. So initially... I went to like high school, college, all that stuff, right? I'm 28 years old. Okay. Okay. I knew I wanted to start a business like my entire life. Like that's what I wanted to do. When I was 12, I was in my dad's garage and I know it's cliche, but I I literally was. Yeah. And I was uh, doing buttons, like making buttons, putting logos on sunglasses and like. Dude, I love it that you were a hustler from day one. Yeah. Tell me more. And so like uh, we we worked with this gentleman who would like order these glasses, like sunglasses from China. He would uh, send them over to my garage. I would print logos on them. And then from there, uh, he would take them back and like sell them to golf courses. Okay. And his brand was like Blink. And I don't know if the dude still exists or whatever, but it was fun. It was it was epic. 12-year-old, I was like, dude, I'm going to be, you know, a millionaire one day. This is going to yeah. be awesome, you know. And then that kind of died down uh, as I went into like college. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to put this on the back burner because my mom's like, you need an education. I was like, all right, so, I'll do this So you. you were doing the sunglasses thing all the way up into college? Yeah. Oh, uh, wow. For the most part. Like the beginning of high school. Pretty yeah. Pretty much, right? Okay. And so then, uh, then college hit or whatever. And I was like, well, I, I don't really like college. Like my first year of college, I was like, this is, this is not really what I want. You know, mm-hmm. it was so basic. I was, I was bored in all my classes because I was like, this is just 
I learned all this in high school. This is yeah, I waste felt like a waste of time. So were you the type of guy who was like too smart for college, or like essentially like you you just understood school tests came easy and and just you got straight A's and didn't really have to work hard? Or are you that kind of guy? No, I was the kind of okay. guy that understood it all. And then didn't care about my grades. Okay. Yeah. I got some buddies like that. Yeah. And, and they're doing better than the ones who cared about school and including myself. I was, uh, my values lied and my priorities lied in partying and, and football. So, but nonetheless, I can appreciate <laughs> where you come from. So, well, I picked up a different hobby, actually, uh, the military. Ah. Yeah. So I was looking into that and I was like, okay, I'm going to go sign up active duty. Let's go. Right. And my parents were like, hold on. There's this thing called ROTC. You should do that. And okay. I was like, okay, well, uh, I, I mean, I guess, like, is, what does it mean? Like, I played Call of Duty. If I just start a private, I can make it to general. Like, that's, that's how it works, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're like, no, 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 that's that's not how it works. You know, you have to be an officer. To be a general, you have to commission. And I was like, what? What is this? So then I sat down with, like, a lieutenant colonel who, you know, had, like, obviously 20 years experience in the Army. He'd retired. Uh, and he was like, no, this is how the structure works. You can't start a private and then make it to a general, you know, without going through some sort of commissioning program. And for that, you need a degree. Okay. And so that's how my parents slide handed that I needed college at that ah, time. I was like, very ah, smart. Yeah. Good job to Charles's parents. So what is ROTC? ROTC, Reserve Officer Training uh, Corps. Okay. And so it's a, it's a program, you know, they, you go through in college. So, like, it's about four years long. I mean, sometimes it could be five years, depending on how long you take to finish college. Right. It's additional credit hours. And then once you complete that and you complete your degree, you get a commission in the huh. United States Army and you become a second lieutenant. Wow. So I actually completed the entire program up to the last physical fitness test and decided not to commission. Huh. Uh, they were not happy with me. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, you went to the finish line and decided just to stop. Yeah, and that's because I met a friend at the time. His name was Justin. Okay. And he had started three separate companies, and he'd sold them, and he was, like, completely well off. The dude at the time was 26, and I'm like, dude, this guy's killing it. Yeah. Like, and it just, like, reignited that passion for entrepreneurship in me. And I was like, if I sign, because at the time, to get through college, I actually signed a National Guard contract. Okay. And so that was, like, a six-year contract. And so I was in the National Guard while also going through college and doing this thing called Simultaneous Membership Program, which allows me to, you know, become a platoon leader in a National Guard unit while I'm going through ROTC, while I'm doing, you know, college. And so while all that was going on, you know, he's telling me about entrepreneurship again. I'm like, man, this passion has been reignited. Nice. And so I was super pumped. And because of that, I went into my commanding officer, basically the PMS, the professor of military science. And I was like, hey... I'm not going to commission. She's like, well, I mean, you sign a contract, you kind of have to. And so the loophole for me was if I don't show up to this physical fitness test, (laughs) then they literally can't commission me. Fail by default. Yeah. Wow. That's hilarious. So, I mean, what was going through your mind? I mean, you obviously were just fired up to, to to drop out. And then your idea was, I'm just going to get into entrepreneurship and... Essentially, you, there was a fork in the road, and you just decided to take a plunge. I mean, oh yeah. So, I mean, and how old were you at the time? At the time, I don't really put age. That's fine. I'm just curious, yeah. like how your parents, because obviously, if you were young, your parents yes. would have probably like dropped the hammer on your head. But ultimately, they were wanting to see you succeed and what you had signed up for. And yeah. then, so what did that conversation look like when you called so, home and you're like, well, here's the situation. It's definitely like, honestly, my mom didn't really want me to join the military in the first place. Okay. So she didn't really care. Ah. She was like, ah, it's cool, I guess. And my dad's like, are you sure this is what you want to do? And even like the professor of military science, a lot of my friends are like, dude, you're going to regret this decision for the rest of your life. And you know what? For the first year, I did. 
I regretted it. Yeah. Because I put four years of my life into that working, learning all this stuff, going through this officer training program, learning how to write operations orders, all that kind of stuff, disseminating information, being in charge of 160 people, you know, in different types of cadet events and stuff like that. And then all that I just threw out the window and I was like, whatever. So it, you know, and it's, and it goes to say though, like life experiences make you who you are today. Right. So Mm -hmm. even though you didn't fully commit to the very end and, and, you know, reach the goal of finishing, I'm sure there was some huge takeaways from those four years. And and if you look back, I mean, what do you think was the biggest takeaway from, you know, experiencing that within the service? The biggest takeaway was doing instead of just talking about things. So in the military, there's this like executing, you know, a plan is key to success, right? Mm -hmm. And so you can plan all you want and they say, you know, no plan survives first contact, right? So yeah. like, you can have the best plan or whatever. You can have all these contingency plans. But the second you hit the ground, right, plans go out the window because situations can change, right? But the idea is to, like, move, shoot, communicate or whatever and execute the, the plan according to what you have, right? And then also kind of just, like, adapting to what's being thrown at you at that time. So learning all that really uh, I guess shape my perspective on how I'm going to incorporate that into building a business. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So tell me more when, when you decided to not do your physical, uh, what happened after that? Yeah. So after that I was like, all right, well clearly, you know, I need to at least finish college cause I'm already like pretty much at the finish line here. So I had like one more semester to go. So I went ahead and finished college and got my degree yeah. in business management. Okay. From where? University of Texas at Arlington. Okay. How was your experience there? That was fantastic. I actually, I ran the Entrepreneur Society as the president there. I was on Student Congress as a student senator. Oh, wow. And then I also ran the Arlington Chamber Collegiate Council, which was a program that connected college students to the Arlington Chamber of Commerce for like internships and stuff like that. So I ran that as well. Okay. So So. what, I mean, you obviously were involved in a lot. What made you decide to get involved with so much? Because most people go through college, they just want to party, have fun, get a job, and then away you go. But you obviously took it upon yourself to get really involved. I mean, where did, yeah. where did that drive come from? Well, one, the fact that I know that connections really do drive, uh, I guess, creation of businesses, right? So I needed connections. And in order to do that, I needed influence. And in order to gain that influence, I figured, why not contribute? Nice. Yeah. I highly respect that. Good for you. So, okay, so you graduate college, uh, you get out, and what happened at that point? So at that point, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to start a business, right? Nice. And so my first attempt was an e-cigarette business. And because like those were the hot rage, right, at the time. So I ordered 300 e-cigarettes from China. Yeah. And I was like, I was still in the National Guard at the time because I had two years to finish out there. And I was like, okay, what am I going to do? I was like, all right, I'm going to sell to all my military buddies. Like everybody smokes cigarettes. Like I'm going to sell these e-cigs to them. So I bought those e-cigarettes for like $1.50 a piece and sold them for like 20 bucks to all my buds. Nice. Yeah. Look at, hey, all your, all Charles' buddies out there, we apologize. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you know where to find them. But he was just trying to make a buck. So the, the, you can't, don't judge him. <laughs> That's I too mean, funny. I mean, I was up front with them. And the fact is, is like I was actually selling them cheaper than you would get them at like the store. And they were the same thing. Right. So it's an easy sale. It's so, like, yeah. hey, look, I'm trying to support your nicotine habit and I'm getting you a smoking deal. Like, yeah. that's great. No what, pun intended. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So where did you get the e-cigs from? Like Alibaba? Like, how did you source yeah. them? Alibaba. No that's way. Exactly. Funny story about Alibaba. So when I was in college at SAIT, which is Southern Alberta Institute of Technology, mm-hmm. I somehow 
landed on, I think it was Alibaba. And I met this guy online, uh, which sounds really weird, but he was a son of a manufacturer who manufactured bootleg clothing. And so I would like bring in Gucci and Louis Vuitton and like all these high-end clothing and like sell it to people at school. And it it was nice. It made some pocket change. But (laughs) once people started realizing how crappy it was, I quickly got out of that. But I respect the hustle and and I can kind of identify with you getting something from Alibaba and selling it for a profit. I mean, you'll do anything you can in college to make a buck. So that's hilarious. Okay, so what happened after that? So yeah, after that, I did, decided, okay, I was like, well, these e-cigarettes, I mean, this is easy. Like, let me advertise this online. Turns out, like, Google and Facebook and all of them have, like, bans against advertising e-cigarette stuff ah. because, like, the nicotine and stuff associated with it because it's a drug, right? Yeah. And so it's like, okay, well, this isn't scalable, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to do what everybody else does and just, like, either have an epic website that word of mouth, you know, is just awesome or... I'm going to have to have like a front facing like brick and mortar shop. Right. Right. And I was like, okay, is this something I want to commit the next, you know, five years of my life to? And then I sat there and thought about it. I was like, it's easy money up front, but how does it scale? I was like, I don't know. So then I was like, okay, let's see what else I can do. So then I met up with uh, one of my cousin-in-laws, right? And he's actually my cousin-in-law now, but he wasn't then. Gotcha. So we started a off-road accessories company where we bought like light bars the kinds that you put on trucks yeah like winches and stuff like that the ones that like blind me when i'm driving and i just want to shoot their tires out oh yeah but technically when you're driving they're supposed to be covered so okay well technically most people don't so (laughs) but no i just had to laugh because when you said light bars i'm like i've been blinded severely by those things but anyway keep going (laughs) yeah so i bought i kind of like arbitraged those i bought those from china as well and started selling them nice locally and stuff like that first initially on craigslist then we started a website and then we started like the amazon hustle which was pretty awesome yeah and amazon really sources you a lot of sales like we blew up when we hit amazon what yeah do you still sell on amazon those light bars i don't okay and so what happened there was i left for some military training for 30 days and when i came back because i went to the national training center or whatever in where is it? California. Okay. Yeah. And then I came back and my business partner hadn't fulfilled some of the orders. And then Amazon was like, well, I mean, the quality of this stuff is kind of going down. So you can't sell here anymore. Right. Well, at least this product. And I was like, ah, oh, man, that stinks. <laughs> okay. So, huh. so kind of happened with that. It's a little awkward situation. I don't really want to like, you know, knock on the guy or whatever. So sure. yeah. But I mean, I came back to like something that wasn't successful as it was, you know, when I had left. So, yeah, no, that's too bad. When you have a team and a partner, you expect that when you leave that things have either stayed the same or have grown, not kind of moved backwards. So, well, that was a hard lesson to learn is choosing your partners wisely. Yeah. And so that was that lesson for me in that. So like one of them was like choosing the right product, the right industry. The next lesson was choosing a partner. Right. And so then the the third try, I, I went and tried to start an EHR company, an electronic health records company, right? Wow. Yeah. So, so how do you come up with these plans of like, what? Like, do you have a dartboard and just like plaster with random ideas and you just throw it and then it's like, that's a business I'm going to start. Like, how do you not. come up with these? No, I, I identify a need and then I'm like, okay, this needs to be solved. Can I do this? Wow. Is this realistic? Okay. So then, but diving even further, how do you find that? Okay. So think about healthcare, Right. With healthcare, you have information in data silos. I mean, people talk about silos all the time, right? So how do you get, you know, your health record from one doctor to, like, the hospital or from the hospital to your next doctor and stuff like that? What system exchanges that? 
other than just like, you know, manual file transfer or like, you know, we'll send your records over here. Mm-hmm. And that takes man hours and all that kind of stuff. And so that just adds more to each bill because more man hours, more money and all that stuff. So how do you know even that that's the way they were doing it? I talked to doctors. Okay. And so what I did is I went and interviewed a lot of doctors and like what the current systems they were using. And so I sat down, had coffee with them and stuff like that. And I'd be like, okay, so what do you use in your office? Do you like it? And they'd be like, yeah, I don't really like it, but that's just how it is. And I'm like, okay, well, what if we could change that? What would you like in a product? And so we were building, me and my business partner at the time, Justin, the guy who had started through business or whatever, I yeah. was able to recruit him. And he was like, all right, let's do this. We, at the time, we were like interviewing these doctors and they're like, this is what they want. Turns out electronic health records is a really, really hard business to get into because even though doctors can identify what they want, implementation is the most difficult part because a lot of these private practices don't have the extra time to switch systems. Okay. So that's like a whole nother business right there is coming in and helping them switch it out and stuff like that. And so when the rubber meets the road there, you talk to these private practitioners and they're like, well, I mean, that would be nice and all, but I just don't have the time and I'm not hiring an extra person to do this. So I'm like, okay, how would you do that? And so that's like a really entrenched area, which is why it's hard to be solved. And that's why, you know, a lot of people looking at blockchain now are like, well, what if we bring this new technology and it might be worth going and doing because blockchain's additional securities it adds. Plus, you have to deal with HIPAA and all that stuff, so yeah. which is really hard, which with HIPAA laws and electronic health records and stuff like that, really the expectation is that you continually improve your security. Not necessarily that it's secure, right, 100% of the time, but you have to be continually making an effort to improve your security. Ah. So that's how security works with that. Anyway, so it's very interesting, and I think blockchain would bring that to that. Okay. Is that something you've looked into or trying to capitalize on? Oh, yeah. So I've been involved with the cryptocurrencies deeply since 2013. What? Yeah. Holy cow. That's probably could be a whole other episode, which leads me to my next comment, and not to sidetrack you where we're going, but you mentioned something about a YouTube channel that... Yes. Okay. Tell us a little bit about that because that touches on crypto stuff, right? Yeah. So once I decided not to do electronic health records, and there's a lot of learning that's been going on the last couple of years, right? Me and my business partner were like, okay, let's start, you know, a podcast YouTube channel, right? We decided not to do the podcast. We decided to go with the YouTube channel because a lot of crypto people hang out there. Yeah. And so we call it Crypto Today. And we're on YouTube and we stream Tuesdays and Thursdays, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. Okay. And uh, I'm going to put the link in the show notes because there's a lot of people who want to know more about cryptocurrency, including myself. Mm-hmm. And when you Google cryptocurrency on, on Google, yep. it, like you get it's information overload. So like I have no idea where to look even to start. So, so that may even be something I need to look into. Here's the interesting thing, right? A lot of people out there that talk about cryptocurrencies talk about price, right? They talk about investment advice. Well, that's illegal. Right. You okay. can't really talk about investment advice without the proper licenses. Sure. Okay? So I can't give investment advice. I'm not that guy. Right. But what I can do is I can talk to the technical side of it. Right. So that's the show we've created. So our show is for a very niche audience, the kind of people that do look for more information than just the surface level stuff. Okay. The people that really want to put in the time and understand in depth what each cryptocurrency is, what they do, what problem they're trying to solve, all that kind of stuff. Right. So that's what our show does. Have you... I've never actually talked to anyone that's made money off of cryptocurrency. Yes. So have you personally, and we don't have to dive into like the, the, the details, but have you invested in cryptocurrency? Yes. Is that something that has, has been done well for yourself? Yes. Very so, cool. Yeah. In 2013, I actually put student loan money into it. 
No way. Yeah, I put $5,000 of student loan money nice. into it. Nice. I love the fact that you just took a risk and went for it. <laughs> yeah, I also put $5,000 of student loan money into buying miners from the internet, which never showed up. No way. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you win some, you lose some. Yeah. You were basically paying tuition. That's the way I look at it. Yeah, but I mean, Bitcoin at the time was like 300 bucks. So, I mean, when yeah. it jumped up to 20000 I was a pretty happy guy. Wow. Yeah. Dude, that's crazy. So, all right, so let's kind of go back because you, when, you, when you talk about blockchain, I had to bring that up. So you're talking about the healthcare thing and talking about sort of like the compliance part of it. It was tough. So what, what happened then? Yeah, so once I decided the barrier to entry was too high and my friend had just had his first kid, he was like, I don't really have a lot of time to put into this. I was like, okay, well, I don't know if I'm going to you know, have a half-baked business partner in this, right? So we need to figure out something else. That's when we decided to go with the show because right. it was only twice a week. And that's kind of fun. And then I was like, let me pursue other opportunities. And so I went and talked to my dad. And my dad was like, he's been in oil and gas, you know, his entire life. He okay. has 37 years of experience as a geophysicist. Okay, cool. And his dad, my grandfather, was in oil and gas. He used to run the entire Scandinavian offshore uh, operation over there for mobile before they became ExxonMobil. Oh, that's okay. huge. And then my, his dad, so my great-grandfather, used to work at Standard Oil. So okay. it's kind of a generational thing. Yeah. And so deep down in my heart, I kind of knew, you know, oil runs in my blood, my blood, yeah. you know, my veins. No kidding. Yeah. And like the energy sector is really where I want to be. And it's taken me a couple of years to figure that out, but I'm here now. Wow. Yeah. So, and, so that brings you to, okay, so did you start URX or did you sort of work in the work in the industry to gain knowledge or how did you get into this so what i'm really good at doing is incorporating businesses yeah no kidding <laughs> yeah so what i did is i went ahead and incorporated in uh, november 2017 and then from there i started the learning process and it was a data dump so for the next year i spent just learning everything i possibly could talking to as many people as i could you know learning the technical side the business side all that kind of stuff and now i am where i am now and i built a team of people so i have my dad who's working with us. He's a geophysicist, 37 years experience. Yeah. I have a PhD reservoir engineer with 17 years experience. Wow. Uh, we have a land guy with 11 years. We have another PhD geophysicist who has about like 10 years experience. And then we have an R&D guy who used to work for Lockheed Martin, who's actually going to A&M right now, getting his PhD in nuclear engineering that's working with us. And then we have another geologist. And keep in mind, none of them are paid right now. Okay, right away I was thinking overhead. I'm like, holy smokes, man. Your salaries that you're dishing out must be astronomical yeah so here's the here's the catch though so i've, I've told you all this right but uh we want to be an operator but we're not an operator yet okay so we're actually in the process of raising capital at the moment ah yes okay so there's a catch for sure yeah so how tell us tell me a little bit about that have you is it have you gained any traction with raising capital or where do you guys stand there so this is where i found the biggest i guess obstacle is i don't have the strongest network in you know the industry right and so accessing those people is something I'm looking to do. And I guess one of the reasons we're on this podcast right now is so we can get that exposure and talk to those the right people. Okay. Because this investment isn't unconventional. It isn't shale, right? It's going to be something that you've probably heard about a couple of times. You're like, oh, EOR, yeah, that thing, whatever. you know. But there is really a lot of opportunity in this sector to do this. And... I mean, even if you read the Department of Energy reports, it says it's not a matter of if, but when we do enhanced oil recovery, mm-hmm. right? Because eventually you're going to run out of all the other stuff. So you got to go back into the other reservoirs and go get it. So right. it's like, and a lot of the large operators are already doing that. Oh, yeah. But they're doing it at scale at bigger fields. So what about the smaller fields? 
right? Sure. I mean, there's companies out there that are dying to get stuff off their books, right? The stuff that's just like bugging them like, oh, man, this plug-in liability is going to suck. Well, a company like us with the expertise can come in and just revitalize that field and then make it something nice. And we can get those pretty cheap. No kidding. Pennies on the dollar. Yeah. No, because there's a lot of people that are trying to get rid of baggage, essentially. Yeah, it's like, why spend twenty to $40,000 an acre when you can, uh, you know, come with us and a couple hundred bucks an acre? Right. So where where have you, or what is your sort of day-to-day job look like when, when going out to search cap for capital? Because right now, you're, you're a company with the right team, and so you're searching for oh, yeah. capital. Where have you looked? What Have you... Where do you plan on looking? I mean, obviously, you said you're going to network and try and get the name out there, but mm-hmm. but what have you tried so far? So initially, I tried talking to a gentleman who said he could raise money. Okay. Right. And so I signed a contract with him for like six months, and he's like, "I got this. So we'll get it done by this past December." Right. Didn't happen. And I learned my lesson there. I was like, one, don't sign those kinds of contracts. Right. <laughs> yeah. And don't take people at their word. Don't put all your eggs in one basket there. Right. And so now what I'm doing is I'm reaching out to as many people as I can. And even if people say, yeah, I can make that happen, I'll be like, okay, cool. But I'm going to talk to Joe over here who also can make it happen. Yeah. Because, you know, you really can't, I mean, with the amount of talent we have ready to execute this mission, like you can't just have them sitting around for an entire year. Waiting. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like, I really do need to make this happen as soon as possible. Understanding. Right? And yeah. it's not out of nece- like, you know, desperateness or whatever. It's out of necessity. Sure. Right? So. So is that part of the goal at NAPE is to network and oh, essentially yeah. just navigate the waters in hopes to find the right person or the right you know group of people that are looking to invest in this? Yes. Okay. And so, I mean, the initial project's only like five million bucks. Okay. And that's I was really, going to ask you what would be like startup investing would be mm-hmm. five million essentially is what you guys are looking for? Yes, because I'm actually, I can't give you details because I'm actually in talks with the company that I signed an NDA with. Understandably um, so. But they're willing to give me an asset at no cost up front at all. All I have to do is accept the plug-in liability. I've already had that entire communication with them, and they're like, yes, we'll do this, and I'm not even an operator yet, and I've already like basically done a deal with them. Yeah. And so basically all I need is my operator license right now, and they'll, hand, they'll write, write it over to me. Okay. And from there, we can take the capital that's invested and go rework everything and then make a bunch of money. No kidding. Yeah. That's crazy. That's a neat story. I had no idea when you walked up to me that it was going to go down to this, but uh, I certainly, I'm, I'm excited for you. I mean, 28 years old, you've had your hands in a little bit of everything, and now you're potentially a CEO of an operator and doing, I mean, you know, involved with cryptocurrency, young, ambitious, motivated. Shoot, man, that, that's exciting. What, uh, if the listeners want to, I mean, you got your website, I'm going to put that in the show notes. You're on LinkedIn. Is there any other platforms that people can reach out to you or your company to get more information? Private message me on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way to do that. Cool. I'll put the link in the show notes to your LinkedIn page. And Uh, well, actually an email is also okay as well. Okay. Well, we'll put, do you mind if we put the email in the show notes? I do not mind. Cool. We'll put the email in the show notes. And uh, again, if anyone out there is interested, hit up Charles. Sounds like a fantastic opportunity. Uh, I wanted to take a quick break here. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe and do me a huge favor and leave uh, a, a review, good or bad. I'm welcome, you know, I welcome anything. Please provide any feedback or if you have any thoughts or suggestions on who to interview or what kind of topics you want to hear about, uh, I'm open to that. Something else, so we're sponsored by Tindeka and they're known for innovation in advanced completions and production optimization. So if you want a chance to win a mini portable projector, 
Click the link in the show notes, and if you win, we'll announce it on the show, and we'll send out a Goody Mini LED projector. It's perfect for home theater, boardroom, office, and pocket video. A couple announcements I wanted to make. Uh, We've recently launched Oil & Gas Legal Risk. Please search that up on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to and uh, rate it and review it. If you haven't left every podcast a review under OGGN, please do so. We would certainly appreciate the support. If you're interested in happy hours, and actually, Charles, this may be something you're interested in, we're looking for sponsors in Dallas-Fort Worth for happy hour sponsors. And we're also going to be launching one in Midland towards the end of February. We haven't got the date narrowed down quite yet. And then we have our Houston happy hours at the Canon. They're hosted every uh, last Tuesday of the month. The next one's going to be February 26th. And uh, shoot, come out, have a cold beer and some food and the opportunity to network with other professionals in oil and gas. Thanks for listening to Oil and Gas on Shore, Charles. Before we sign off, is there anything else you want the listeners to uh, to know about, or anything, any cool stories you have? I mean, it sounds like you've gone done a little bit of everything. So, any? Well, actually, let me ask you this: This is something I always like to ask. You're married, right? Do you have kids? No. No, you don't have any kids, which is probably why you can spend 24 hours a day grinding it out. But yes. do you have any daily routines or habits? or things that you do that really keep you focused and dialed in, whether it's mindfulness, whether it's working out? I mean, is there anything to come to mind that, that you do every day that, that keeps you doing what you're doing? I go to the gym six days a week. Okay. And that really helps because it's a place you can go to and really just not think about anything else. It's just you and that weight. Right. That's so cool. I, I'm, that uh, I'm a big proponent of health and fitness. So you, you take health pretty serious then? I mean, my diet isn't that great. Yeah. <laughs> that's all right. You're young enough you where you gym, can let right? it slide. Yeah. yeah. As long as you balance it out, you're okay. Well, good. Well, thanks again for joining me. I mean, there is one more thing. Um, yeah, go ahead. I, I'm a pretty ambitious guy, and I do, I do want to point out that one of the reasons my friend is going to get his PhD at A&M for nuclear engineering is because the end goal is that in the energy industry, although we're starting out in oil and gas, we do want to look at nuclear fusion okay. as a possibility. Okay. So, so that's the goal there. Nuclear fusion. Charles, what is that? So rather than nuclear fission, which is splitting particles to release energy, nuclear fusion is joining particles to release energy. And wow. so there's a lot less like radioactive waste, uh, like if any at all. And then like it's a lot harder to do, a problem that hasn't been solved yet. And you can multiply the energy inputted into that system tenfold. Wow, that is way over my head. So we'll have to, uh, that's another episode for another day. But again, Charles, thank you so much. I appreciate you coming onto the show, just seeing me record a podcast coming up and introducing myself. I learned a lot today. I'm excited for what you're doing at URX, and I really hope you gain some capital, and uh, I want to see you guys get to work. Thank you, Justin. Awesome, thank you. And remember, folks, oil and gas onshore, providing energy for the world through innovation, one well at a time. Signing out. Tune in next week for another captivating episode of Tendeka's Oil and Gas Onshore Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasglobalnetwork.com.